Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. I'm Adam. And I'm Jeremy. We're here today to discuss the X-Men number 23, the August 1966 issue. Yes, yes we are. This one's for the action lovers. All the other ones were for the drama lovers or the storytelling lovers, but this one, this one's for the action lovers. It says so right on the cover. On this cover, you have kind of another fairly boring rendition of what may come in this this episode. It looks like the beast is climbing up a column. I don't know. The rest of the folks are fighting one another. The ice man is throwing a giant ice boulder at Scarecrow. It looks like the eel is shooting a bolt at Jean Grey, which she has caught with her hand. Yeah, it does look like that. <laughs> and then the angel is being shot by Plant Man's plant gun, and Scarecrow's hurling crows at Unicorn. You can see Jean Grey's telekinesis line. Yeah. What? What is? What is it doing? <laughs> She's trying to knock the beast off of the uh, the uh, column that he's on. I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. The beast looks like I didn't actually even notice this until not just now. It looks like he's hurling something at somebody. Yeah, he's throwing a rocket plant man. He's throwing a rocket plant man. Oh, okay, so he maybe Jean Grey telekinetically loosened a portion of the column and then the beast grabbed it and is hurling it at plant man. I don't know. Hopefully this isn't what's in store for the rest of the issue because so far I'm not impressed. Looks like Angel's trying to catch something. And maybe he's trying to catch that rock. He's got to move a little faster than that. So this issue is titled To Save a City, not United We Stand, as I predicted last episode. Your title would have been so much better. (laughs) This one's edited in ecstasy by Stan Lee, written in rapture by Roy Thomas, drawn in delight by Werner Roth. Werner who? Uh, Werner Roth is Jay Gavin. What? They're the same person, and for some reason, Werner Roth wanted to use his... Fake name, Jay Gavin, up until now, uh, I guess he decided that it was okay being German. I guess so. Uh, I had read on the little Marvel Wikipedia thing, the unofficial one, that Jay and Gavin were both Werner's sons. Oh, okay. So there you go. That's why, uh, why he chose a pen name is not really detailed on the page, but the origins of his pen name are detailed. Maybe he was just so embarrassed. Uh, oh, I'm drawing the X-Men. Here I thought I was going to be an artist. I was going to paint Paris. I have no idea. I also uh, had read on there, and if you look at these covers, and I hadn't really been paying attention, but once Jack Kirby left the story and Jay Gavin started penciling it, the covers no longer contained a signature line anywhere. And from what everybody knows or, or or the details that they can collect all the covers were also done by jay gavin slash Werner roth even though he didn't sign them hmm. yeah, just you know, just throwing that little tidbit out there anyways it was uh delineated in depth by dick Ayers and lettered in a lawn chair by Artie simic Artie simic is taking a break this month apparently good for him mm-hmm. he does good work so the x-men are in a dungeon Apparently, uh, in Washington, D.C., where they are, the Count has found himself a dungeon, and he has locked the X-Men in it. 
We're pretty much continuing off right where we left from the last issue. Count Nefaria is taunting the imprisoned X-Men. Now, what do you think this first line means? It says, it's rollicking resume time. But instead of wasting a lot of words on an introduction, let's just get to it. Oh, does he mean like, this is where we would usually tell you who everybody is, but today we're not going to? Exactly. Uh, okay. So We'll let the story do the work for us. Which is kind of a nice change of pace. Instead of uh, being bored with all of the details of who is who and what has been happening, we just launch right into the very wordy dialogue of Can- Count Nefaria. I like Jean Grey's thought balloon here because she's wondering what all of us have been wondering <laughs> since last issue. Who is this Count Nefaria? <laughs> why? Why? We've never encountered him before. And why is he after us? This doesn't make any sense. Yes, Gene, it does not. What's interesting is that next time, the next four times they encounter Count Nefaria, she's going to have these same thoughts. Everybody's just kind of talking about, you gotta let us go. And by the way, I'm gonna steal the District of Columbia unless you give me a hundred million dollars. That kind of brings you up to speed. He's got them prison in prison, but at the same time, he wants them to... Join them. That's part of his plan. We haven't really learned what it is about the X-Men that the Count is so interested in, but for some reason, he just picked him as, in addition to his, his other crazy costume lieutenants, he wants the X-Men, too. Spoiler, we never find out. What? Hmm. <laughs> just another thing in this issue that may not be making complete sense. But uh, the second panel on page two... Uh, they they put a dot inside of his, um, inside of his monocle. Inside of his monocle, That's and it makes hilarious. him look like he's got a bug eye. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. You got to capture that panel for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, he's like it's like he's having a stroke or something. <laughs> his eyes just like bulging out. Uh, and he's like he's got his hands out and everything. Like he's totally he's having a seizure. Is what's happening here? <laughs> X Men, you'll join me. And then he falls over, and then the issue ends. It's really abrupt. Oh, no. Uh, so the Count, uh, he goes off to his computer system that apparently is adjacent to the dungeon, and uh, he turns on a giant uh, force field around Washington, D.C. It starts out as little specks of white, and then uh, this citizen says, I kind of like this line. Yeah. What's this? It can't be snow. Not in June! No, it's countless blowing particles crystallizing in the air. But what can it mean? Really? So first of all... That's the dialogue he comes up with? How... How do do you ever... If if it's like snowing in a month that it's not supposed to, are you really going to react like that? Second of all, how does this guy know that it's countless glowing particles crystallizing in the air? (laughs) I... Well... I don't know, <laughs> but he certainly would like to know what it means. He's a like a physicist or something. Could be. I think yeah. this whole balloon could have uh, been handled in one of those little yellow uh, uh, narratives there, and just showed like a panel of people uh, panicking and whatnot, but then have it have the actual narrative tell us what's happening because this makes no sense. And then we get somebody in a car. Now that the force field has fully formed over the city. Somebody in a car driving towards the city says, nobody can get through from either side. Is it some new plan to make Washington attack proof? (laughs) How does this guy know? He hasn't even gotten to it yet. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I have no idea. 
There's an airplane that's bouncing off the top of the bubble of Washington, which, look, you know, I mean, that's kind of an interesting graphic and, and whatever, but, I mean, if the airplane would have hit it at that trajectory, I think it would have just exploded on impact, don't you? I don't think it actually bounces off of it. I think at the last oh. second they, they steer it away. That's a good quest. That's a good point. I, I didn't even realize it. This frame, though, for you video gamers, actually kind of reminds me a little bit of Fallout 3. Because really? Fallout 3 was set in Washington, D.C., and it involved... Uh, and it was as if time stopped in the 1950s, but technology continued, so all the cars looked this way, and, and the art design is very similar to this, and, and having a force field around Washington, D.C. would have been an interesting quest to have done in that game. So that's what I instantly thought of as I see this panel. But you're right. It seems kind of odd that the guy in the station wagon knows that there's some attack-proof force field, and he's at least two miles away based on the uh, angle of this panel. Very suspicious. Mm-hmm. So we cut to inside of the space bubble. Space bubble. Somebody's trying to... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's a truck full of perishable goods, Jeremy. Oh, my God. They're going to spoil. Oh, no. He can't get out. <laughs> uh, yeah. The cars are backed up for miles. We don't know what to do. This is a very odd panel. You know, i got to be honest. I don't think I actually read this panel before. <laughs> what the heck is it? All right. So perishable goods are going to spoil, everybody. Uh, I guess we're just trying to get a good sense of um, panic and, and, and confusion that's going on. Yeah, which is a good idea. In the next panel, somebody's not satisfied with the president's opinion and so calls the Pentagon. I'm going to call the Pentagon. The president's assured us that the dome's not of our making. We must get to the bottom of this fast. I'm calling the Pentagon. <laughs> oh, and the middle guy's like, I wonder, could it be theirs i wonder could it be theirs like who's he referring to and then he's referring to the reds i'm wondering you know are we talking about some uh, little communism going on here a little paranoia think so. all right so then uh the fire uh the fireman and the fireman a construction worker and what looks like a military officer try to beat their way out of the force field yep uh <laughs> firefighting axe doesn't get through the pneumatic drill doesn't get through. By the way, the pneumatic drill can cut through diamond, but can't cut through this stuff. Won't even dent it. Not even. Uh, they, the military people set up some dynamite, try to blow through that. Mm -hmm. Roughly close to the dynamite, but, you know, maybe it's low-level dynamite. One of the guys there, one of the privates, he says he's got a hunch that nothing short of an A-bomb is going to smash through that barrier. It's quite a leap to make. To which somebody replies, but we dare not use nuclear weapons without knowing just how strong the dome is. Otherwise, the loss in lives and property could be staggering. Now, do you think the guy was serious when he talked about the A-bomb? This guy's just overreacting. <laughs> are, they, are these guys inside or outside? I think they're inside. Okay, so if they're inside, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> right? Letting off an A-bomb inside. First of all, is there one in Washington, D.C.? Because, A, that's a bad idea. And, B, if you let it off inside the dome, that can't go right. Uh, outside, maybe I could see that, you know, because at least you got some winds that'll blow away that radiation. But I don't think these people are clearly thinking things through here. Why people are even thinking this way is just completely beyond me. The general here suggests that whoever constructed this device will probably get in touch with him which is a you know good guess however i thought it would have been interesting if 
Count Nefaria was just kind of messing with him. He would launch one, not explain it. That's actually, that's actually a really good idea. I mean, I think the problem with a lot of these 50s and 60s villains is that they don't have patience. So if Count Nefaria would have just uh, encased Washington, D.C. in this crystalline, let them all suffocate and die with no explanation whatsoever, and then encircle New York City and then be like, ha-ha, it is me. You saw what I did in D.C. Now pay me money. Or maybe he doesn't even want money. Maybe he's just evil. I mean... Look, if you have the resources at your disposal to create this glowing crystalline dome out of thin air, what do you need money for? That's true. <laughs> hmm. You could probably sell your crystalline dome device to the military. You could probably get a lot of money. You could start selling it to the highest bidder, and I bet you, I mean, at this time, with the Reds and the United States, I mean, there would be a bidding war. You'd probably get more than $100 million. So now the X-Men, who we know are locked in Count Nefaria's basement, show up at the steps of City Hall. Is that City Hall? And they let him in, basically saying, Hey, we saw you guys battle the Sentinels, so we bet you can lick this. But then the X-Men turn and say, Hey, we're causing this, and we want $100 million in certificates. (laughs) Here's the thing I have, uh, the problem I have with this. They're at the steps of the Capitol, and what you have is you have a security guard outside who sees the X-Men and says, let me rush you right in. Really? The security guard has the clearance to let him right into a session at the Capitol? Based on uh, what he saw on TV with them battling the Sentinels? It's a very important se- uh, security guard. <laughs> yeah, okay. He's clearly head of security. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> He's got uh, a direct line to the, the most important congressman there in uh, Washington, D.C. So, anyways, yeah, and at that point, they, uh, they get into the floor and they, they deliver their ultimatum, as you, as you detailed. After which, they are leaving and some more security go to stop them and arrest them, hoping to get a, take, take advantage of that. They're, they're kind of leisurely walking away, but they disappear with a gleep. Gleep. And then what really worries our super important security guard, or maybe it's a different security guard, is what if Congress turns down their demands? <sighs> dun, dun, Everyone dun. will die. But the X-Men, they're in a dungeon. So they either teleported out or it was just another one of Count Nefaria's illusions. It was totally one of Count Nefaria's illusions. Had to have been. Probably. So uh, the X-Men start talking about how great it would be to get free and how they need to stop the count, and that's when Marvel Girl finally does something productive. It's taken 23 issues, but she says, hey, let me give give this thing a shot. She's unable to do it because whoever designed these shackles did so with me in mind because they're too complicated for me. I don't know. I think she's giving herself a lot of credit here. (laughs) I think she's selling herself short or not giving it her all because, I mean, we've all seen her sewing with her mental powers and reassembling rifles and stuff. But, yeah, no, she can't. Magazines. She can't read magazines, designing clothes, but she can't do it. And so the X-Men, just like us, are wondering why. where's the professor throughout all this and why hasn't he sprung into action and mind-wiped everybody to forget about what they wanted to do so we could just carry on with the rest of our lives. What's he <laughs> doing? So we come back to the 
X-Mansion where we find that he is uh, developing a new invention and he has blocked off access to his brain from the X-Men. He has been giving it his undivided attention. And as soon as the telephone rings, he is surprised and jerked out of his trance that he's in and he doesn't even recognize... Oh, it's just the telephone, he says. He does recognize it. He... He's been blocked off so much, and he forgot that he could still be contacted by the telephone. Some of us call that working in the zone. Oh, so, yeah. So uh, so he, he brings down his little mental shields and uh, answers the phone, and it turns out it's the general. And the general reports that there's been an emergency regarding the X-Men. And the general's only calling him because the professor has kind of come out as a an outspoken expert on the mutant phenomena. Since the Sentinel thing, yeah. He attempts to contact the X-Men, and uh, the X-Men don't respond. Yep. They must be too far away. So he will increase his reach. But in the meantime, uh, Cyclops comes up with a plan. He says, don't give up, and Marvel Girl doesn't. Oh, wait, no, there's more to his plan. Since she can't unlock the locks because of the complicated locking mechanism... Cyclops has the idea that she should raise his visor so that he can blast at the uh, locking mechanism, the locks themselves. And it works. And, you know, it's a far cry less complicated to work his little visor through that little metal barrier that's surrounding his forehead than to try to pick a lock, I suppose. Perhaps she's been working on that maneuver in the danger room. And then... Scotty has an orgasm, it looks like. <laughs> she touched me, telekinetically, but she touched me. <laughs> but yes, he, he orgasmically fires off a uh, very thin uh, ray from his eyes, I guess. Blasting the locking mechanism over his eyes away, so he starts clearing all the other X-Men out. Beast kind of questions, why am I last? Mm. Well, he... I got a problem with this. Okay. Count Nefari is uh, relying on the sim- single fact that Cyclops won't be able to get to his visor to turn it on. But I thought we learned that like, when he opened and shut his eyes, the visor would open and close. I mean, if all it took to get him free was a blast, this just doesn't seem to make any sense to me. It seems to be the single point of failure that uh, Count Nefaria probably should have counted for if he's making handcuffs that are too difficult for Marvel Girl to pick. Uh, I think he just got lucky with the locks. Okay. Marvel Girl not being able to pick them and Cyclops' mechanism, like, not opening when his eyes open. Sure. Marvel Girl's trying to pick them and, like, all the diameters and stuff are in metric. And she's like, son of a... I've been practicing in Imperial. All right. So, anyways, I'm nitpicking. Moving on. (laughs) The X-Men are contacted by Professor X, who tells them but not us what his instructions are for this plan yep he says that he he is ready with their instructions mm-hmm. and marvel girl here and angel are missing pupils again and it's very creepy and their eyes are not white they're skin tone oh they're white in my copy oh, okay yours must be recolored mine they're very creepy yes. looking yes mine is uh, recolored i think these are all like I think the omnibuses basically collect the Marvel Masterworks things. Oh, okay. Well, back when the kids were reading these in the 60s, these cats didn't have any eyes, and they were peach-colored. So the professor delivers the plan off-panel, so we don't quite know what it is, but 
Uh, we flash to Count Nefaria, who is talking to himself for some reason and says, they've done it, they've agreed to my terms, uh, referring to the Senate, who has voted to get all of the money for the Count. The X-Men show up and pretend to be on his side. Now, wait a minute here. The Senate has just voted a special appropriation to be picked up by the X-Men at the expiration of the three-hour period. Oh, wait. Is he planning on using the real X-Men, or is he planning on using the holographic X-Men? I think he's planning, he's been planning on using the real X-Men, thinking that... Eventually they'll turn to his side or something? The whole idea is that they can't help but help him. Hmm because he has got them implicated. It doesn't make any sense. It's like really simple logic, but you have to buy that. It seems like he's putting the cart before the horse here when he's like, okay, now I'm going to send the X-Men who have not yet agreed to this and seem to be uh, fighting off my advances. Luckily, the X-Men at this point agree. Yeah, they do. The next, the very next panel come in and say, yep, we'll do it. And uh, just so that they don't double-cross him, he says that I'm the only one who can manipulate the dials to dissipate it. I don't know. Manipulating the dial seems pretty easy, but whatever. Maybe they only react to his fingerprints or like his body temperature or a combination of the two. You know, come on, Adam. Think out of the side of the box there for a moment. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the Count has already accounted for this benefit of of his, and he puts the X-Men into a milk truck. A very small-looking milk truck in the picture here. It looks like a if, if Minnie were to make a van, this is what it would look like. It's very, very, very tiny. How plebeian, says the beast. Mm, he does. Uh, as soon as the X-Men uh, are, are hauled away, uh, Count Nefaria grabs his radio from somewhere, I'm not really sure where, and asks for Plan C to begin. It's not quite clear, but Plan C is just that he wants his uh, rogue band of villains from the last issue mm-hmm. to watch and make sure the X-Men don't screw this up. Yeah, it makes me wonder what plan A and B were, but whatever. Maybe, I don't know, maybe plan A was to get the money, plan B was to get the X-Men to agree to pick up the money, and plan C is to have the uh, yesteryear villains watch the X-Men, and everything's just really falling into place for them. Not really sure, but... But anyways, uh, a, another truck, a much bigger one, a military truck, it looks like, uh, speeds away. And that's the truck that drops off the yesteryear villains. Presumably, it's not really shown, but I think the truck navigates through the dome with the help of Count Nefaria. It actually says right here they passed the bogus milk truck. doesn't really say how they get inside the dome, but they get inside the dome. And it's at this point that we learn that they are planning their own little bit of treachery and they are going to steal the money from Count Nefaria as soon as the X-Men steal it for them. Exactly. Because why not? They're villains. (laughs) Sure. As anything that we've learned from the movie, A Simple Plan, when money's involved and there's people that want to get some of it, nothing ever works out for anybody. Yep. (laughs) The X-Men are in for it. There's also a little bit of infighting where Unicorn's kind of taking the reins. Everyone's like, all right, we'll kind of listen to you now, but if your plan fails, one of us is going to take over and blah, 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 blah. Unicorn. (laughs) Well, yes, I would follow a guy named Unicorn to the ends of the earth if it meant I didn't have to hang out with Porcupine Man or whatever his name is. 
The professor, he lands. Uh, I don't know how he gets there, but he's with the military. They want some advice from him. He's thinking to himself that if they only knew why I knew so much about mutants, as he always thinks to himself. They have some sort of discussion here in which the general gets kind of miffed with the professor, and the professor admits that he needed him to leave him alone. Mm-hmm. And then these two other military guys think that he he's going to sleep, but he's actually doing his astral projection version of himself, which runs across the city into... Well, how does he know where Count Neferia is? Well... We learn in a little bit here, but he, he does get out of his body. And I wanted to make one point here. He's running at top speed across what I can only think is the Potomac, but I'm not sure. It doesn't say anywhere. Uh, on his way to Count Nefaria's stronghold. Now, the last issue, remember when his head almost fell off? <laughs> he was whining about, like, I'm going to walk, and I can never feel the sunset on my face and wind and stuff because I don't have any feet. And so I'm just thinking to myself, like, he's got the astral production the astral plane where he can run and fly and probably turn himself into, I don't know, anything he wants to. Why is he whining about not being able to physically walk when he can do all that other stuff? Yeah. Well, the astral projection doesn't feel the wind on his face. Well, then they wheel him out back. (laughs) Let the wind (laughs) blow on his face while he astrally projects himself and runs around. Anyways. So, Apparently, it's the X-Men's emanations, <laughs> which makes me oh, giggle. Okay. <laughs> the X-Men's emanations remain. So apparently, they had a very large Mexican meal for lunch, and it didn't sit <laughs> well with the beast, and the professor has smelt out his emanations and has found them in Count Nefaria's massive control room. Yet another additional power the professor has. <laughs> seeking his, his emanations. So, I don't know. Anyway, so I guess he does, he says a bunch of stuff here like, I can't physically interact with the rest of the world, but I can see what's going on. So this would also say that he can't extend his mental control to this area? This doesn't make any sense to me. Because one could say like, okay, well, he can't project, because what I'm trying to say is like, he uses his mental form to get over there, and then he says, oh, there's Count Neferia, and then he says, mind wipe, and then Count Neferia falls over, and he's drooling like a little baby, and then the professor saves the day. So one could say, well, he can't mentally control people across uh, the, the, the crystalline dome. Well, then I say that his astral form shouldn't have been able to cross the dome. You see what I'm saying? I think one begets the other. I don't think it's the dome. I just don't think his astral form can do anything. So he zips back. He, he notes the address. He gets on Google Maps. He's like, okay, that's where it is. And he mind wipes, projects into that direction, and bam. Count Nefaria is on the floor drooling and forgets all about his plot. Have we seen that he's been able to mind wipe people over major distances? I guess not. Because that would be a major power. <laughs> just like, and today the tri-state area seems to have forgotten their address. <laughs> Details at 10. Professor's like, I had a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes this happens when I have nightmares. All right, so anyways, uh, the X-Men arrive at the outside of the dome, and uh, a small hole appears, allowing them to get inside. Presumably, it also allows the yesteryear villains to get inside. Yeah, they must have used the same hole or whatever. Doesn't really matter. 
Count Nefaria can create a dome around a city and open and, and shut it at his will. What does he need money for? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, think about that. Like, in order to have, like, all that crystalline powder or whatever it was floating in the air, you would have to have something to project it into the air, some sort of delivery mechanism, and it would have to surround the entire city. I mean... The planning and the time and all of the equipment to go behind initiating that is just mind-boggling. He doesn't see the value of what he's got. You know what? Maybe it's about the journey for him, and the destination is kind of something to get to, but it's he really likes the chase. He really likes the challenge. So he's been tinkering around with this for like the last 20 years, and <laughs> and that's what it is. The money, like if he actually got his hands on the money, he would just uh, he'd probably burn it or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Just be like, oh, I got it. Yes. Okay, what do I do now? He's sitting in his living room watching TV. He's like, well, now what do I do with it? The X-Men head out to get the money. The military is watching the X-Men, and we find out that the villains of yesteryear are watching the military and the X-Men. A lot of people watching. We cut to... Who is this? This Uh, is a senator. Okay, just a random senator. Apparently they said, okay, Mr. Senator... We're going to give you a briefcase of $100 million in lightweight certificates or whatever. And uh, you, Senator, are going to stand on the front capitals and wait for these super powerful mutants and some guy who wants to take over the world to come get it from you. We're not going to use an aide. We're not going to use a security guard. We're going to use you, Mr. Senator. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's not a senator. It's a congressman. But still... I'm just glad that they had these large denomination certificates redeemable in gold. <laughs> Anywhere in the world. <laughs> so Angel shows up to pick up the money. A guard goes after him, shooting at him. Iceman freezes the guard's hand. Another use of Iceman's powers that just would cause somebody to get pneumonia or frostbite. Well, it looks like about 15 pounds of ice. So, I mean, if you flash froze somebody's hand and then put 15 pounds on it, wouldn't the hand just fall off? Like, literally just snap off? Probably. <laughs> All right, just check in there. So, we can uh, we can surmise that this security guard no longer has a hand, and he's actually on the floor crying, going, why, why? Well, if he was smart, he dropped to the ground with it, and his hand didn't fall off. I don't know if he... He doesn't look like he's had that much training. Well, he was just randomly shooting at him. Exactly. Uh, And as the congressman does say, Oh, no, he must have missed the security brief. He's shooting at them. He could doom the entire city. So I'm going to assume that he lost his hand. Anyways, the (laughs) X-Men are fleeing the Capitol building with the money. Angel has the money. When a group of... I don't know, thugs. They're not really thugs, but people that are angry at the mutants. Concerned citizens. Yes, real American concerned citizens. And they start heaving rocks. Because they happen to be near a construction site. A a pile of bricks at a construction site, no less. Yep. And I got to be honest, this panel here is not very flattering for the X-Men. I mean, they're really having a tough time dealing with these uh, normal human beings who are hurling bricks at them. It's two panels, actually. Well, the first panel is just them, like, kind of falling about and, and being hit and stuff. The second panel, they're at least fighting back a little bit, but neither one of these panels is very flattering for the X-Men. I bet you the Fantastic Four never had to deal with this. <laughs> uh, Angel 
flies up to get away from all of that, and the beast climbs up the Washington Monument. Mm-hmm. Not only does he climb up like a little bit, he climbs all the way to the top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's kind of hanging out on the point, waiting for Angel and and Angel. He was really really upset. <laughs> <laughs> those they, those guys have really good arms. I mean, if you look at that first panel where they're throwing the bricks, he almost gets hit in two spots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. He got frightened. I guess if I could run to the top of the Washington Monument, I would do so as well. So it's at this point that we flash back to the villains of yesteryear, and we see Unicorn lurking behind the bushes. They decide that they will make their move. They decide they're going to help the X-Men because they need the money. Mm -hmm. They need to steal the money, rather. Not just because they need money. It's not like the X-Men are paying them or anything. Well, right. So the Scarecrow, he launches his crows at the citizens. And I got to ask, is the Scarecrow, does he have control over these crows? Or does he just have a bunch, is he just a crazy guy with trained crows? Good question. I mean, he's literally bribing them here. He's like, to the rescue, my pretties. Think of all the birdseed your share of the loot can buy. I don't know. He's He might just be crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think he's crazy. You really think the birds are like, hmm, uh, birdseed, lots of money. I, I, I think I want to do this. Okay, here's what I think. He has a mild level of avian control but doesn't realize it and has come to like these crows and the crows hang out with them because he has they have no choice, but he doesn't realize it. That's my theory. Okay. All right, let's go with Giving that. Giving him far more of a backstory than he's probably <laughs> Marvel, are you listening? If you ever want to reboot the Scarecrow, I just gave you your backstory. <laughs> Porcupine messes up some humans. Um... With tear gas, yeah. Porcupine's stupid. He's a very stupid villain. <laughs> what do you do? I have a porcupine shoot, and I shoot, I shoot gas out of it. What do you do with your porcupine quills? Nothing. Oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> They're pointy. <laughs> Nobody can touch me. The eel blasts some people with some lightning bolts. Kind of like lightweight electro. Pretty much, yeah. And the uh, unicorn, he shoots people with his unicorn head (laughs) unicorn horn you know i think i must have touched upon this last episode but really i mean you've got technology and you create laser rays and stuff and you make it a unicorn theme (laughs) i mean you couldn't put that in your hand or your chest or where else could anywhere you 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 could literally put it in your elbow and have to shoot people with your elbow and look a lot cooler than shooting somebody with your unicorn horn. Just say the it. rhino was taken, so he went with the unicorn. Gotcha. As the uh, the concerned citizens are running away, Plant Man jumps into action, and apparently he has no powers. He just has a ray gun that allows him to control plants. Which it looks like he causes all of the leaves to fall off of two trees around the humans. Yeah, basically. Ah, the leaves are falling on our heads. Run! And they really are getting in my hair and making a mess of everything. Get out of here. Sort of ridiculous. Unicorn calls out to the X-Men and says, Come with us. We've got the escape hatch. The villains are excited that they can mess up the humans 
without any problem because they can say, hey, we're with the X-Men. They don't get in any trouble for it. So they all pop through the hole, and they're outside the dome, at which point the unicorn says, give me that money. This is where we start playing a game of hot potato with the money bag. Yes, and it goes on for far too long. Although I do like how uh, the unicorn's horn blast and Cyclops' eye blast cancel each other out for some reason. I don't know. It gets really kind of corny at this point. Cyclops throws the thing to Beast. Beast catches it, gets attacked by a giant liquid cement attack from the porcupine, Mm -hmm. which is blocked by Iceman. Beast turns around and runs, but gets tripped by plants that the plant man has raised from the ground roots. Luckily, though, Angel catches the bag of money, but he's being too cocky, overconfident as he calls himself, and Scarecrow's crows start attacking him. And he drops the bag of money straight into Scarecrow's hands. Luckily, Marvel Girl uses telekinesis to pull it away. However, before she's able to gra- grab it, the eel uses a blinding flash of electricity causing her to be unable to see it. Then the eel goes for it, and then the unicorn zaps the eel, double-crossing everyone. Mm-hmm. He double-crossed the double-crossers. Count Nefarious sees this. It's kind of upset. This is where, okay, so that's that was a very good description, but this is where I got to interject now. Who was filming this? <laughs> Now, they're outside of the dome, so this cameraman was maybe inside the dome with them, following them around, and it jumped outside the hole and filmed the whole thing so that Count Nefaria could be watching it on his video screen. Count Nefaria secretly planted cameras on the crows. Ah, okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. At this point, the military shows up out of nowhere with tanks and, and people, and they got guns trained on the unicorn. And the X-Men are behind him, so he's surrounded. But the Unicorn, he blasts away at the tank. But, oh, another one of Count Nefaria's illusions. That Count Nefaria, he's very sneaky. He's nefarious. (laughs) You're right. You're right. He is. (laughs) Well, brilliant. We should call Oh, I see what they did. All right. (laughs) This is weird to me. Okay, so the Unicorn blasts away at the illusion. And then Marvel Girl tells us that he's flying away using tiny lifts in his boots. Right, and we don't get to see it. Why? Yeah, why don't we get... I mean, I understand, like, in a movie, you sometimes cut away and describe what's happening because you don't have the budget to show up. But this is a comic book. Why aren't we seeing him fly away in his boots? It makes no sense. I kind of like this. We get, we get this ridiculous reaction shot. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like, this is the scene that should have been cut in place of the actual action. But yeah, everyone's dumbfounded that the unicorn is flying away, and we don't get to see it. It must have been awesome. <laughs> there he goes. Uh... But this is fun. This is funny. Angel's like, oh, we'll never catch him. Iceman says, we can't quit. And Cyclops says, you're right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, oh, good plan there, boss man. We've already established that you can't catch him, but you've decided not to give up. All right, so what's the well, plan? I see now why they didn't show him launching on his rocket boots. Because they had this important dialogue that they needed to include. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so meanwhile... Meanwhile, the professor decides he's useless and goes to take a nap. Well, actually, the general kind of kicks him out uh, because he's like, oh, it's been three hours, and I think at this point they have seen the X-Men come out. 
Yeah, and they want to get the military to go get the X-Men. He's signing an order to have the X-Men shot on sight, so when the professor leaves in a hump. And the professor is trying to be like, well, you know, hang on, maybe, but the general's shutting him down. So the professor heads on back to his hotel room to take a nap. And now we get to see the unicorn in his rocket boots. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. I got to imagine that those... uh. Those rocket boots must have cost a bunch of money. So what does this guy need money for? None of this makes any sense. I mean, how much rocket boots and a unicorn helmet that shoots laser beams would cost? Well, maybe he has a lot of debts from forgetting <laughs> all this stuff. And so he's got to okay. pay off his debts, which right. is why he needs the money so bad. Okay. All right. Good enough. Good enough. So he's flying around. He sees... Uh, some more tanks off in the distance and he's like I won't be fooled this time but then he gets blasted by a tank and he says I should have known <laughs> this time it's a, this time the armored unit was real luckily his energy field protected him oh he's got an energy field too oh okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> he lost the pouch in the concussion which Cyclops happens to be right behind him and catches it. Cyclops uh, momentarily develops the uh, power of super speed and is able yeah. to run up to the area which is uh, which is uh, this is occurring and snatches the pouch. And one of the military guys who's in the tanks like, "Oh, get it, sir. Why do they look like they're fighting?" And the general says, "Shut up and drive the tank." <laughs> you didn't enlist to understand, Corporal. Just duck in that tank and fire. Oh. That goes for you too, soldier, he says to a guy with a bazooka. So why doesn't the guy with the bazooka get inside the tank and fire? That's what I want to know. I have no, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, but meanwhile, Iceman freezes the barrel of a tank. Yep. And the angel... Dive bombs some soldiers. And the beast attacks a couple of military guys by kicking them in the head. Why? Why are they yeah. doing this? That's mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Iceman de disarmed a, a, a gun. The angel scared some of the troops, and Beast just kicks these guys in the head. I guess I don't understand what's going on here. Beast always pushing it too, too far. <laughs> he just goes too far. <laughs> too far, too far. He's always hitting girls and making jokes at the inopportune times. Such a bad little beast. I think maybe they're trying to maintain their cover that they're still trying to help help Count Nefaria. So let's just go with that, I suppose. Cyclops hands the pouch off to Marvel Girl, telling her to t telling her to take it to the rendezvous point, which we don't know what that is, but presumably off panel they discussed what that rendezvous point would be. And Jean says, "I don't like to leave you and the rest of the X Men." Yeah. But I know I must. I think that's a nice little subtle touch there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, oh, by the way, we're still trying to flesh out this uh, little relationship. It's taken us four years, but we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> All right, and so uh, the, the villains of yesteryear, minus the unicorn, see that the money is being given to Marvel Girl. So they're going to follow her, but then they get attacked by the military. The villains of yesteryear do a pretty good job of uh, fending off these military folks with their various powers and different quips. Scarecrow used to be an escape artist. I don't understand why they don't just shoot the porcupine in the head. <laughs> I mean, they can't touch him. He's got all these gases on him. He's basically an unlicensed uh, biological weapon. 
He should be shot on sight. Just kind of standing there. <laughs> the scarecrow, he's got birds. I mean, shoot him too. The eel, okay, he gets away because apparently he's slippery. And he's got electrical charges or whatever he's got in his costume. But the rest, shoot him. And plant man, come on, you're going to let yourself be uh, uh, taken down by a dude whose only power is the ability to shoot a gun he made that controls plants? We get a nice close-up of plant man's ridiculous costume. And his gun, which is also equally ridiculous. It looks like his costume is made up of old dried plants. I think that's probably part of the point. I can't imagine. Like It must have been, I don't know. I just imagine the... Uh, the introduction episode of now introducing Plant Man and him just on the cover with like his stupid plant costume firing a gun off at Thor or whoever he was uh, fighting at the time. I'll use these plants in order to make my costume. Not plants. Oh. This is kind of not working, but I'll, I'll go with it anyway. <laughs> Anyhow, so I don't know, like a wall of a jungle appearing out of nowhere. So apparently he can also grow jungles with his gun. I don't know what's happening here, but the military is stuck behind a bunch of trees and these guys, don't they run away or something? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they escape. They run away. And we're threatened with a little dialogue here that says that they have gotten away for now anyway, indicating that they might come back, which would suck. (laughs) (laughs) And the unicorn is in a bush, and he says, luckily, I fell into the bushes. Yeah, right. He saw trouble, and he's like, uh-oh. And so he lays there, and he says, oh, I better I better hang out here until the troops have left the area. So I think at this point, we're pretty much done with all the villains of yesteryear. Yeah. So we cut back to Count Nefaria's palace, where Luke Skywalker shows up and <laughs> enters, saying, uh, you will let me inside. <laughs> yeah, and Bib Fortuna's like, all right, come on, come on, this way, this way. Luke says, "Isn't that thing around your neck choke you?" Bib Fortuna's like, "Huh?" <laughs> oh wait, no. Um, yeah. So some masked guy. I actually think this looks like um, what was that Sam Raimi movie with the guy who burnt his face? Dark, Dark Man. He kind of looks like Dark Man, but a little, a little lighter in the feet, if you know what I mean. <laughs> light in the loafers. <laughs> a little light in the loafers. And whoever this mysterious masked man is, uh, he has the ability to render henchmen, what would you say? He essentially uses the force. He does use the force to make them not do anything against him. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that this guy, he does a lot of walking. He's a walker. He's a walker. <laughs> but not in that walking dead sort of way. He's, he's, he's a walking, he's a walker. He couldn't possibly be any character that we're familiar with that doesn't walk. Correct. Correct. This is a a person who walks, who has a mask about his face that we uh, could not possibly have any knowledge of. Yes. And he clearly walks. A guardian angel. Did I mention that he walks? Yes. Who has no wings, but instead of wings has uh, heavenly feet that walk. (laughs) Okay. Elsewhere in the castle... Another person who can walk, the Count, is, uh, he sees the truck come in with Marvel Girl and presumably the money. He says, give it to me, referring to the pouch. I have striven long, planned carefully for this moment. He seems to think that as soon as he gets the money, all of his problems and plans will come to fruition. 
But I think he's missing the larger picture. If he's actually got to go spend, cash these certificates in for gold, find suppliers for whatever devious plans he has, buy the stuff, assemble the stuff, hire some people to uh, maintain the stuff, and then actually enact whatever plan it is that he has. So getting the money is a very small step in a larger process, and I don't think he has a full grasp of what it's all going to take to do this. But he's very focused on this money. Uh, but Marvel Girl uses that to her advantage and says, you must release the city. Yeah, she's not going to give him the pouch until he releases the city. He admits that he already did get rid of the three-hour death sentence. They haven't been losing their air. So he says that he's done that, but if unless he gets the money, he will turn that back on and they will die. So basically turning the situation back to what Marvel Girl originally thought it was. And so she's like, oh, here's the money. Sorry. And that's when our mysterious walking stranger shows up. Yes. The man in the blue trench coat who who can walk. Yeah. He just walks straight up to the machines and starts messing with the machines as as though he designed them. Uh, Count Nefarious says, they're too intricate, too delicate. No human being could do such a thing. So this guy must be an alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Must be the stranger who's back, or, or maybe it's Lucifer. I mean, Lucifer, he was pretty good with the dials and levers. Yeah, and Gene uh, Gray does refer to him as that stranger. Ah, good point. I like this panel here because Marvel Girl is focused on this uh, mystery man who's working the dials, but like the, the Count Nefari is behind her, and so she uses her telekinetic power kind of like not even really thinking about it to keep him in check. I think that's kind of cool. Like She's like... She can do that, but she really is concerned about what this mystery man is doing. And that's at this point where the rest of the X-Men join Marvel Girl. Oh, and Cyclops says, thank the star she's unharmed. If anything would have happened to her. Yes, he thinks that. He doesn't say it out loud. Right. The crying noise also occurred in his head. It turns out that it was a bad thing that Marvel Girl wasn't paying attention to Count Nefaria because now he's gone with the pouch. What? Ugh. (laughs) (laughs) Why, they're gone, both of them. Oh, no. All of our work for nothing. And then the mysterious walking stranger says, No, Angel, not for nothing. Don't worry, because I'm totally Professor X. He doesn't say that. That's kind of what he said. Well, there's many panels, and then he says that, but yes. Oh, I cut to the chase. Yeah, okay, all right, fine. All right, unicorn fine. shows up on the ship, and uh, so Condoferia and the unicorn are both on the ship. And it's at this point that Professor Xavier removes the hat and sunglasses. No, it's at this point that the stranger removes his hat and sunglasses and reveals that Wait he's a minute, the you professor. know what I just realized? What? It can't be Professor X, but Professor X can't walk. I know. I was thinking that same thing, too, so it must be some sort of shape-changing doppelganger. Mm, or a scroll. Ah, although the X-Men haven't encountered the scrolls, but maybe this is a lead-in to the next X-Men arc of comic books. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. What's this happening on the second-to-last panel here? <laughs> He's pointing to his crotch for some reason. <laughs> He's showing the X-Men his iPod. Oh, he's got an iPod, yes. He's showing them a lightweight, flexible metal brace for his legs that he's been working on for months. 
Yeah, which is actually a pretty cool concept. For months, I have been secretly working on a lightweight, flexible metal. Why is he working on it secretly? Why is he like, X-Men, I got some plans, and I think I might be able to walk within just a few months' time. Aren't you proud of me? Let's go celebrate instead of being like, yes, for the last few months, I've been keeping secrets from you, and this isn't the only one. He probably wouldn't have had to work months on them if he had enlisted Beast's help. <laughs> Beast's a pretty bright guy, you know? Angel could have gone and flown out for pizzas and stuff or resources or who knows. I mean, uh, Cyclops with his pinpoint accuracy with his optic blast probably could have cut a couple of things for him. But uh, no, no, secret, secrecy, mind wipe, secrecy. <laughs> and then in a kind of a crazy paw, uh, fa- a face here, the professor lights up a cigar and is like, yeah, I know, i got some feet now. What do you think about that? Yeah, pretty cool. What about the million dollars? Eh, forget about it. <laughs> so it turns out that the million dollars is actually under the table. What? So what does Count Nefaria have in this second panel on the last page? He has... A mirage of sorts. I don't understand how Cotton mirage things work because he's clearly holding it. <laughs> in in all of the other uh, holograms or mirages or whatever you want to call them, there's nobody's been interacting with them other than like talking to them. There's been no touching or bumping or damage taken from them. But you're right. In this panel, he is clearly holding on to what we later find out is an illusion. Doesn't make any sense. The briefcase is fading from sight, and with it are dreams of wealth and power. Somehow, in some way, the X-Men tricked us. I'll tell you how and in what way. That's pretty simple. They made the thing disappear. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so the professor says he used his own illusions against him and blah, blah, blah. Oh, by the way, Gene, here's a letter for you. Yeah. Huh? It's totally still Mr. Cool with his little pipe. He's standing, smoking, he's got his jacket, he's got the letter in his inside coat pocket all suave-like, and he pulls it out. Hey, everybody, I'm totally on two feet. It's pretty cool. (laughs) I might be pulling out this letter with my hands, but I gotta remind you, I'm still standing on my feet. (laughs) (laughs) And so Jean turns around to read her letter, and she reveals that she is leaving the X-Men forever. Oh my god! No! Yes, Adam. It says it right here on the page. Just like Cyclops was going to leave the X-Men forever. And Beast was going to leave the X-Men forever. Well, I guess everybody's got to have their turn. Well, that's been an interesting issue. Uh, Next issue, we're promised a startlingly different, amazingly imaginative development. So I'm hoping that it will be... I don't know, a new version of Sentinel, or maybe Magneto will be back with a stranger. Not something stupid like a guy dressed in a bug costume. (laughs) No, wait. (laughs) It says they're going to battle the Locust. I don't know if that really warrants the nuff said that comes after the Locust's name. For the 60s, I guess. We just got done fighting unicorns, scarecrows, and eels. Do we really need to have a battle against a bug? (laughs) Apparently we do. All right. Apparently we do. So there you go, folks. Stay tuned for Locust Man next episode. But while we're still in this episode, uh, why don't you take this time to go out to iTunes and leave us a review? 
and go out to www.redcapproductions.com forward slash danger room. You can hit us up at facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast or use our Twitter thingamajobber that says go danger room or danger room go. <laughs> uh oh, you say it. Uh, at danger room go. You had it right. Okay, at danger room go. Speaking of uh, iTunes reviews, we got our first five-star iTunes review, or our first and only review uh, from Square Deal. Thank you very much, Square Deal. This is your official shout-out. Yeah, that's what we do here. We give shout-outs. Yeah, yeah. Just it, All it takes is a review. We're easily bought off, you know? <laughs> uh, so there you go. And Square Deal, you should go out. Actually, what you should do if you're not going to leave a review is just go read Square Deal's review and, and say that it helped. Or I don't know if it has one of those things where it says, did this review help? But if it did, you could just say yes because he left us a pretty good review. So thank you, Square Deal. And we hope to hear from uh, many, many more of our listeners. And if you're if you're troubled of what to say, you could actually copy his review or her review oh. and uh, – you know, just paste it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, five stars. We'll take it. We don't care if all the reviews are the same. Or or you could do this. Do this. Um, go to iTunes and then open that up and then and then click new review. And then go to www.msnbc.com and, and f- copy the first paragraph and then paste that into iTunes, but then put the five stars. I don't care what story it is. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. So there's some text there and then some fives. Then you don't have to even be creative. You don't have to think about anything. You just you just did it. Uh so there you go. That's 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 the level that we've reached. A little bit of desperation. That's not desperation. That's creativity. <laughs> I tried. You just blew my mind. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh Adam, do you have anything to back this thing up with? I mean, um, Did you like this? You're the one that likes kind of the oddball ones and the different twists and turns. Uh, this one was okay. It was a bit wordy. Um, I think I like the first part better. Okay. I personally uh, did not like either. <laughs> <laughs> I just, the villains of yesteryear and Count Nefaria, no, they just don't do it for me. I liked the villains of yesteryear, but they didn't have much of a play in this hmm. this issue no they kind of reminded me of blob and the Eunice in uh whatever the lucifer story was again another story arc i i was just kind of bored by well i don't think the stories are going to get much better so you better start enjoying <laughs> uh i have high hopes for the locust story <laughs> at least i can be wishful all right folks uh i got nothing else so while we're here or uh, let's Where just let's just close the darn thing. Uh, this oh is Jeremy. This is Jeremy and Adam saying that the danger room is closed. Oh, 